Welcome to the Hurricane Center podcast, produced by the Storm Science Network and part of the National Tropical Weather Conference. This podcast is made possible by USAA, the South Padre Island Convention and Tourist Bureau, and Plylock's Hurricane Clips. Okay. Uh, well, Alex asked me to uh, give us a short presentation on what is affectionately called the Ike Dyke. Uh, for those that have been following it, uh, it's, it's a follow-on from the disaster that occurred uh, on the Upper Texas coast when Hurricane Ike made landfall. So I'm going to uh, talk about it a little bit uh, via a set of slides I've got. I can correctly find them here. More official name of it is Storm Surge Protection for the Upper Texas coast, uh, and I'm going to specifically talk about the uh, the area I'm most familiar with uh, in this project, which is the Houston-Galveston area around the Galveston Bay uh, system and how that affects the, the highly populated area that we live in here. And I'm going to focus uh, most of the thing is started as I'm going to focus on the uh, history behind this and why it came to, to being in the first place. Uh, uh, for those that look in the Hurricane Center storm surge page, uh, uh, you can generate these graphics real easily for any category of storm, the maximum flooding that might be expected. And this is the worst of the worst case scenarios, not something that you would really expect to happen. And you certainly wouldn't see everything flooded like is indicated in these colors at any one time. But it does give uh, planning officials an idea of areas that are prone to flooding should the big one occur. And uh, uh, this is the area known as the Houston Ship Channel, where the San Jacinto River and Buffalo Bayou uh, systems come together and flow out in the Galveston Bay. And a good chunk of the nation's petrochem refining and, and processing capability is located along this channel, as well as a major port, the largest in the, along the Gulf Coast. Uh, residentially, a lot of people live in this eastern Harris County and northern Galveston County area, all subject to flooding due to storm surge. And all told, uh, I, I'm told by the state that an estimated 1 million people in this in this area on this map, residents are at risk from the surge. Uh, 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 since really, since Hurricane Rita in 2005, the state's been using, and the locals have been using a 36 hour uh, minimum evacuation clearance time, which sounds like a lot, but given the growth in population that I'll show you in a minute, I'm wondering if it's still legitimate. Uh, the, the, the people that do the economic impacts on, on these kind of storms uh, through rel relatively sophisticated risk programming uh, estimated greater than $100 billion damage losses if a 1900 or 1915 Category 4 hurricane path, which was somewhere down here in the west end of Galveston Island, just west of Houston, pumping the worst surge up into the bay, uh, uh, used to be numbers I'd be, I just thought were unbelievable. And then, of course, we had Harvey, so we know it's believable. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, if that were to happen now, that's the kind of damage as you expect. But on top of that, if that kind of surge occurred, it would shut down much of the petrochemical industry in the port of Houston. And they say equal to or greater economic losses from that aspect to be expected. Uh, I like this, uh, the Greater Houston Metropolitan Area uh, census data uh, shows just how dramatically this place has grown. 1900 storm, there were less than 100,000 people, according to this data. Uh, 
uh, I moved here around 1990. There was uh, a little after that. Let's say there were three and a half million. Well, it's doubled since I've lived here, and it's still growing. And unfortunately, a lot of that growth spills over in areas at risk for flooding. Uh, and today we're talking storm surge, but it's also the rainwater flooding. Uh, and of course, we've put the most critical of our in industrial uh, uh, sites uh, in harm's way in, in areas where storm surge and rainwater flooding are an issue. Uh, as I talked about earlier, where the locations are and the importance of the port. Uh, the economic data they base some of this on is we're the number one e exporting region in the USA, $110 billion a year, uh, based on uh, two years ago data. And the regional GDP is uh, $500 billion. And of course, my concern is, uh, is people safety and the population is increasing much faster than increasing capacity of roadways for evacuation. Uh, the roadways, once you get out of the urban centers, uh, the, the main evacuation interstates have the same number of lanes now as they had in 1960. Uh, there are three storms that you talk to locals that, 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 that stay in our culture and people that survived them mostly don't live anymore, obviously, in the 1900s, so I even uh, Carla, which I'll talk about. But the three that, that always came to my attention when I worked here was the 1900 storm as the benchmark of all things evil that can happen here in a hurricane. Uh, then Hurricane Carla, there was plenty of storms in between uh, the 1900 storm and Carla that uh, did significant damage here, but the memory of them culturally where it gets carried on into the future is not as great as the, the others I talk about. The 1900 storm uh, uh, is uh, when it hit Galveston Island, there was no seawall on the highest point. It was less than nine feet, and the peak storm surge was 15 and, and 0.7 feet. So everything was was flooded to a significant extent. Uh, the population was 37,000, according to the documents written after the storm, and an estimated up to 8,000 people died uh, due to the storm surge flooding that occurred uh, at that time. Uh, the center made landfall, it came in from the, the southeast, making a landfall across the west end of Galveston Island near San Luis Pass down here. Uh, and this is a rendering of what the storm surge probably looked like using the slosh model and land elevations back in the day. Uh, and you'll notice in here, there's not a whole lot of flooding inland along the east side of uh, uh, Harris County. Uh, and even not as much as I might have expected in Galveston County. A little bit more on that a little bit later on there. Certainly uh, serious flooding up the ship channel of uh, tides in the 20-foot or greater range at the upper reaches and the upper ends of Trinity Bay, which is this part of Galveston Bay, uh, by that storm standard. It was thought not to be as large as, anywhere near as large a storm as, say, Ike was, and that explains why the, maybe the tidal flooding wasn't any more severe over in the Beaumont Port Arthur area. And this is just a picture of one of thousands that were taken afterwards to show the utter devastation on the on the Gulf side of the island from the wave action and the storm surge that came in. Uh, so post-storm, what did people do? Did they leave the island, which would have been my, my sensible uh, answer to what we should do about the place, but no, they decided they wanted to live there and make it a big city again. And their mitigation was to build a seawall. They started planning immediately after the 1900 storm 
started construction just two years later and completed the initial construction in 1904. I can't imagine a project of this magnitude ever being done in that kind of speed in today's uh, world. Uh, another three miles and change were added at various intervals between 1909 and 1963. And a point of reference, the seawall was built to 17 feet above sea level, uh, somewhat higher than the actual uh, uh, measured tide of that. And basically it is the uh, served its purpose. It's protected the area from the onslaught of a high moving surge and the wave action on top of it for every storm since then. Now, next storm up is Hurricane Carla. This is a, a radar image from the old Galveston radar uh, showing this incredible eye and, and intense rain bands all the way up into uh, uh, the coastline here at Galveston. And it went into Matagorda Bay. Uh, it's a very large hurricane. Uh, it's probably around the exact around the same size as uh, Hurricane Ike. It was a more intense storm, a high-end Category Four at landfall. Uh, the surge in Galveston Bay, even though it was in Galveston, even though the storm was uh, uh, much farther down the coast, uh, was one or two feet higher than what what occurred in Ike. Uh, it's thought that the surge was somewhat less than Ike on the Bolivar. Uh, of course, there was much less property and value exposed in the area subject to storm surge back then with the population at that time being around one and a quarter million. And I, I remember distinctly, uh, uh, it was either 2004 or 2005 that the, the state of Texas Office of Emergency Management designed an uh, uh, exercise where they ran the exact parameters of Hurricane Carla inland at the worst possible places to impact uh, the major population areas from the Beaumont, Port Arthur area, southward to Brownsville. And I uh, wish I still had the pictures of that. I'll have to dig around and see if I can find them. It was, it was pretty stunning what would have happened if Carla had come in on the west end of Galveston Island. But totally uh, uh, flooded the island, even though the seawall was in place. It would not have overtop the seawall, but the residual surge coming around from the bay side would have been enough to flood the entire island. And 20 to 25 feet would have occurred up the up the Houston ship channel, inundating all of the uh, plants we had in there. It would have definitely been a terrible storm. And it proves that, you know, that that kind of storm has happened, and it would not take too much imagination to see it happen again. Uh, the post-storm mitigation uh, done after Carla was a it was already uh, in the planning books, and there have been some approvals in 1958 to get started on it. Uh, Carla put the fire under the feet, and off it went, and we had a, uh, a hurricane protection system designed for the Texas City Lamarck area. That's a picture of the levee on the, on the bay side uh, there, and it protects uh, Lamarck, Texas City, up to a 15-foot storm surge. And uh, by about a foot, it protected... Uh, any serious flooding from uh, uh, Ike in the Texas City Remark area. So it's served its purpose so far. Uh, that brings us to Hurricane Ike, which is the most recent uh, significant landfall in our area. Uh, a lot of noise is made. People talk about it only being a category two. I feel like I should slap them. But the uh, it was only about five miles an hour below category three. And the uh, the, the problem with using uh, just the spot peak intensity for registering the impact of a storm is it's just not not a very good measure of that 
uh, in correlation, as I proved so eloquently. It, uh, some say they created a storm surge like a Category 5, uh, but the studies that I've seen done for the uh, Ike Dyke on storm surge uh, would indicate that a, a large high-end Category 3 would produce maybe even higher numbers than what were produced by Ike by just a little bit. Now, this is a, a rendering of the actual storm surge flooding that was done by Hurricane Ike. This was put together by the Harris County Flood Control District. And uh, it, 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 what's amazing is how far the storm surge goes with a big storm coming into this part of Texas, all the way to the New Orleans area. So the entire coast of Louisiana gets inundated. Uh, the Beaumont Port Arthur area, which is also home to a lot of critical industries, had serious flooding from Ike. Uh, the highest part of the storm surge came in on the on the Bolivar Peninsula into Chambers County and Southern Jefferson, much of which is a wildlife refuge. So uh, with the exception of the Bolivar Peninsula on the immediate coast, uh, the surge occurred where there wasn't a lot of human life at risk. Uh, the unfortunate thing was that even though people were uh, ordered to evacuate in a mandatory evacuation, uh, a significant percentage chose to stay for various reasons, and unfortunately, a number of them lost their lives because of that decision. Uh, the landfall being right across Bolivar Roads and up through the bay with a second landfall at the mouth of the ship channel uh, probably spared Galveston the worst of the of the storm since the, the onshore rush of the, of the surge and higher values were just to their east in there, but over half of Galveston was flooded. Uh, by the bayside flooding that occurred. Uh, this is a somewhat famous picture from from uh, the damage on the Bolivar Peninsula. Uh, a lot of people call this the last house standing. Well, it is looking this direction, but there's there were other houses that did uh, uh, survive the storm. But the power of the storm surge literally swept everything off its foundation, which proved that the, the stilts, most of these houses are on stilts, but they weren't high enough with the wave action and the current were gone. And the, most of the remains of those houses ended up piled inland on Chambers County. Uh, this guy built it, he had a high, you could, oops, you could almost sense from this picture that he had built the, the land up before he put the foundation in. And he had higher stilts than most people. So the worst of the uh, storm surge went under the property. Uh, I built, uh, when I, the only time I got a chance to, to listen to his story was apparently a lot of water intrusion. So we had to do a pretty much a total rebuild of the inside of the house, but structurally it stood just fine uh, from the storm. Uh, and if I ever want to build another house again in the coastal area, I want to find out who built this one. It, it, it almost looks like this thing was photoshopped. It's so there's not even an evidence of superficial damage uh, uh, to the property. It apparently had the, uh, shatter-resistant hurricane glass on the windows and a real well-constructed roof with, with no signs of uh, shingle loss or lifting of the roof in that area in spite of the total devastation around it. Uh, a little bit of the numbers on, uh, this is a picture of what the seawall was doing in the storm surge. Huge waves is, and the current is slamming into the seawall and, and spewing water up uh, 20, 30 feet in the air when you hit there. A lot of people were down there taking pictures of it. Uh, there, uh, the, the final report had 113 fatalities which with at least 30 due to the storm surge of 15 feet on the Bolivar Peninsula. Uh, in 2008 dollars, it was a $30 billion storm. 
Not all of that was the storm surge. There was a lot of wind damage, too. Uh, the seawall uh, in Galveston did its job. If it, uh, what, if, if it hadn't been there, what we were looking at on the Bolivar would have been happening to parts of Galveston also. And again, like I said before, almost half the city flooded due to the surge entering on the bay side. Uh, inland and on the west end, further down the west end of Galveston Island, is a lot of expensive uh, vacation and even permanent properties. Almost all of these are up on uh, stilts and the surge of about 10 feet or so that occurred down here, for the most part, went under most of these. Maybe the front row had, with the wave action, had some damage, more damage than, than others from the water in there. And of course, when one catches fire and everything's flooded, there's no way you can get the fire company out there. It's a goner. Uh, up in the bay, a lot of it was still water flooding. Uh, a lot of the, 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 the tides range from 10 to uh, almost 15 feet as you went up uh, the west side of Galveston Bay. And there are properties that, that sit below that level. And, and of course, where they did, they get flooded. And, uh, and that's a more difficult problem protecting them. They probably shouldn't be there without being on stilts. And they, a lot of them that, that aren't. So they had a lot of damage due to the flooding there. Uh, other considerations about the, the surge issues in the uh, Houston Galveston area. Uh, I don't see this talked about much, but it's it's real and it's still apparently still happening, but not as bad as it was. Uh, uh, as the cities built in this area, the source of water was not lake water, surface water, it was groundwater. And the nature of the soils here is they compact real fast as you pull the water out of the ground. And in the in the, in the relatively short time period of less than a century, this is the kind of subsidence that's occurred. Uh, this is the Ship Channel area in eastern Harris County here, and this is Galveston County here. Uh, four to six foot of subsidence in Galveston County and uh, six to 10 feet in eastern Harris County. Many of this, these places, if, uh, uh, if this subsidence had occurred before the 1900 storm, many of these would have flooded in the uh, 1900 storm, which is why you didn't see the flooding on the on the rendering of the post the, the storm the slosh model on it at the time. Uh, the other consideration that must be taken into effect when you account when you're trying to suppress the, the effects of storms or just sea level rise. Uh, this graph is the actual sea level rise that has occurred uh, uh, reference to the tides tide station in Galveston. Uh, it's about six and a third millimeters per per year, which on a yearly basis doesn't sound much like much. It's like the analogy of putting a frog in a pan of water and slowly bringing the heat up on it. You don't notice it until it's really a problem. Uh, so over the time period, the time of, of reference in there, the sea level has gone up uh, three quarters of a meter or two and a half feet since 1900. So if the 1900 foot uh, 1900 storm would occur today. It would be occurring on, you can look at it two ways, either the sea level is higher or your elevation above sea level is less. So more areas would be prone to flooding because of the rise in sea level. And uh, these three uh, lines on this graph uh, are from the Corps of Engineers, but they generally represent uh, uh, ways in which people that are studying climate change estimate the effects of climate change on sea level rise in a low uh, high, uh, low, high, and a, and a medium uh, uh, value for uh, that. And both the uh, uh, 
all of uh, the studies that I've looked at uh, on the storm surge suppression here in, in our area have used the intermediate value uh, for creating their, their systems. And it does increase the water depth quite a bit in Galveston Bay over time. So what do we do about it? There's, there's three solutions that I can think of. Uh, you can do nothing and hope the feds bail us out when the next big one strikes, which is really the current practice in the U.S. on disasters. Not a whole lot changes as far as how we do things after a disaster. It's more incremental, uh, especially when it comes to flooding. We've been stuck on the 100-year floodplain for forever, and we don't seem to have much success in moving away from it. Uh, you can go with a strategic retreat, and that's what uh, a lot of uh, purists on the system think we really should be doing. You know, cease development of any kind in surge risk areas and buy out those most at risk. And that's politically unrealistic. The people that have beachfront property don't want to leave there. Uh, companies that have spent a lot of money to be located in this area don't want to leave the area. It's economically viable for them. So uh, don't see that really happening in big, big urban and big developed beachfront areas. Uh, uh, then the third possibility, which is the one we're talking about today, is increased resilience by building a system to reduce the storm surge. In other words, pay a lot of money now instead of a ridiculously amount of, large amount of money later uh, after the events have already done its damage. Uh, the Ike-Dike, and, and uh, full disclosure, I do some consulting and have been for about six years now with Dr. Merrill, uh, though I've been detoured mostly in the rainwater flooding after Harvey event for some things they're, they're working on. Uh, so I, I have an affinity towards this. I know more about this project than others that have been undertaken. Uh, and Dr. Merrill's a longtime resident of the area, has a lot of interest in, in the various aspects, but he's first and foremost a scientist that's curious and likes to solve problems. So our, after the IP, he said, it's just ridiculous that these things happen. We ought to be able to, to uh, consult, uh, we ought to be able to construct a system like we did in Galveston to protect our interests here along Galveston Bay. Uh, started consulting with engineers in the, in the Netherlands at Delft University about uh, how they did their thing and, and, take, and they got interested and sent students and scientists over and studied the problem. And uh, probably because of their Dutch thing and the name Ike Dyke came about, I have, to, I have to admit, I hadn't got a, couldn't find anyone that could tell me exactly where the Ike Dyke name came from, but uh, it's stuck, so that's what we're working with. Uh, so over the interval between uh, 2008 and 2018, uh, Marilyn and his, his team at AM Galveston, along with scientists that do storm surge studies at Jackson State and the scientists from the Netherlands, uh, have been working on this and have come up with a, a lot of reports and solid proposals on how to proceed. Uh, there are other studies that have been done. I'll be talking almost exclusively about the AM. Uh, uh, Galveston approach and the uh, U.S. Army, Army Corps of Engineers feasibility study, which is what is actually being planned for. Other studies were done uh, uh, at the Speed Center at uh, Rice University, led by Dr. Phil Bedian, who is a expert on flood warning systems and rainwater flooding in the area, but he is an environmental engineer by, by profession and has had some interesting ideas on the storm surge issues there that uh, uh, that are worth, worthy of consideration. Uh, and there was also a six-county uh, 
Gulf Coast Community Protection and Recovery District set up uh, uh, by the county judges centered around the Galveston Bay area. Uh, and they hired consultants that also came up with a plan that interestingly had many similarities uh, to those uh, to the system designed by Dr. Merrill. Uh, the U.S. Army, Army Corps of Engineers deemed that this problem was worthy of study, uh, and so they have conducted what's called a feasibility study, which uh, has to be done before any shovels are turned or a project initiated. Uh, uh, there's a lot of reports out there. The one I'm, I'm grabbing data from now that I really think anyone interested in how storm surge works in our area should should read. It's a large document, but it has many, many uh examples and, and some very good statistics on how to assess the storm surge risk in our area. And it's available on the Ike Dyke uh, uh, webpage at A&M Galveston uh, for anyone that wants to read it. I think it's about 500 pages long. Uh, the, the crux of what I was interested in is they, uh, because of the lack of a, a large number of storms, you have to go into simulations to come up with me meaningful statistics on your risk. and. Uh, uh, they use a set of storms developed for FEMA, uh, which is good because other people are using it, so the results are very comparable. And they did basically run a whole bunch of tracks at a whole bunch of intensity, sizes, and whatnot to come up with uh, probabilities, uh, what the values would be for a probable 10-year, 50-year, 100-year, or 500-year storm storm surge. And these are the tracks and some examples of what are, what are used to come up with that. Uh, there's, all, there's examples of almost all of these available in the report. I'm just going to show two in, in what I'm doing here. Uh, this is uh, what they call their proxy storm, 100-year event. And uh, they do things a little different than, I mean, the pressure seemed low to me, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to question it because I really don't, I don't know why, uh, why I would, actually. But the 100-year storm event is a 930-millibar large Category 3, in the high end of Category 3. Uh, that, that basically means uh, another way of looking at it is there's a 25% chance of this storm occurring in 30 years, a 40% chance in 50 years. Another way of looking at the 100-year storm. Uh, I'm sure it's hard to see these these values here. This is the ship channel where the highest surges would occur, and the values are in the 18 to 20 feet uh, range without any dike uh, to protect it in there. Uh, the bottom graph on the left is adding in the sea level rise factor uh, uh, for the storm, and the values go up correspondingly. There, there's, I, could, I don't have them in here, but I could show you slides that show that it's not uniform. There's a variability factor in how sea level rise affects storm surge, but it's not significantly different as far as the purpose of our, our studies and discussion, and that pushes the values uh, up into the 20 to 22 foot without a storm surge protection system. Um, with the planned dike uh, that is in the report, which is called the extended dike conditions running running from east of uh, Galveston Bay down into Brazoria County to near where Freeport is, uh, because of the of the dike, you actually get a higher value on the Gulf side at the dike because you're damming up the water as it moves in. So it increases the value of the storm surge at the beach, but it immediately stops due to the protection system. There is some overflow and 
because of the water in the bay, that overflow and the water in the bay being driven by the wind piles up on the west side. And even with the protection system, you're still going to have uh, about uh, about an eight to ten foot residual uh, storm surge. However, most of the property is higher than eight to ten feet, so you're reducing significantly the flooding on the west side of Galveston Bay. Uh, you still have some flooding in Galveston, and it gets even worse with the case with the sea level rise from the spillover water and the residual water in the bay. The bay is going to be higher also. And some of the property on the west side of Galveston is less than six feet. You had three feet. Now they're three feet above the water. Uh, so it doesn't take much of a tide rise to flood the, wet, the bay side of Galveston. Uh, that's an issue in this project. Uh, but then you go to the 500-year storm, which is a 900-millibar large Category 4 hurricane in their study. Uh, there's a 6% chance of occurrence in 30 years, 10% chance of occurrence in 50 uh, years. So you're by going to a 500-year storm to decide your uh, risk tolerance in there, you, you significantly reduce uh, the probability of that occurring. And, and that's, to me, the biggest problem with a 100-year event is the probabilities are too high of occurrence. Uh, now we get some really high values in the tide. Uh, uh, it's in the 20 to 22-foot range in the, in the ship channel area. Uh, total overwash without protection system uh, uh, down on the uh, Bolivar Peninsula and, the, and, and west end of Galveston Island, and even overtopping of the seawall, which is at 17 feet, if you get 18 to 20 feet coming in uh, with the surge. Add in the sea level rise, and now the whole upper end of Galveston Bay is above 22 feet. Uh, peak values are uh, over 25 feet, kind of like the, the uh, Carla example simulated to run in the, in the Galveston, which was a large uh, high-end Category 4 hurricane. Uh, the Ike Dyke, uh, as designed by A&M, would uh, significantly reduce the amount of flooding, uh, though there would be uh, some residual areas up Dickinson Bayou uh, uh, in here, which is populated uh, uh, in the 12 to 14 foot range, and same in the upper end of Galveston Bay. Most of the uh, critical infrastructure on the ship channel is 15 feet or higher. Uh, so it's a pretty good value to protect to. Uh, and in the sea level rise, and you still get good protection out of the, out of the uh, proposed Ike Dyke, even though you're getting uh, up to 20, I think it was 22 and a half feet for a peak value here uh, at the entrance to Galveston Bay and the Bolivar and the east end of Galveston Island, which would cause a significant amount of overtopping of the structures. Uh, now you get large areas in there where the uh, 12 to 14 foot of tide on the west side Again, a lot of the property is above that. Now, though, I had a house about three miles from the bay on the east side of League City. It was at 12 feet, so it would not protect that old house. Uh, and then up the ship channel, you start to get some areas where you might overtop the 15-foot burial, but that's still a pretty good set of protection uh, given what the uh, non-protection would be. Uh, so what what is this? What does the coastal spine look like? And uh, uh, basically, what what you have is uh, 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 three aspects to it. You fortify the existing seawall by building, adding height to it, in, in Galveston proper. Uh, you build fortified dunes on the Bolivar Peninsula and West End to protect for the 500-year event. 
uh, and that would be running along the beachfront site where the dunes currently exist in their plan. And in the original plans, they have a east side protection system and a west side protection system. The east side wraps around uh, to catch the storm surge that would be coming in from the uh, far eastern part of the upper Texas coast. Uh, the west side keeps the west bay from ingesting water between uh, uh, San Luis Pass and, and Dow Freeport, where there's a levee system already in place. Uh, the third factor, and it's probably the most critical one, uh, calculations show that as much as two-thirds of the floodwaters that come in uh, come in through the Bolivar Road. So building the gates to prevent that water from coming in is, is the critical part of the structure and naturally the most expensive part of the structure. Uh, so their, 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 their studies on the economic side of the hazard and the risk show that uh, 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 as much as 95% of the surge flooding that occurred during Hurricane Ike would have been prevented if we had had this Ike Dike in place. Uh, even, even in the 500-year storm, 85% of the potential surge, surge flooding would be prevented. And it protects the vital Houston Chip Channel area from the dire effects of even a 500-year event. So uh, what has happened is uh, the Corps of Engineers uh, uh, accepted this as a, do, as a viable project, but needed to do a feasibility study to what's the best plan to do and what's most, uh, what gives you the most bang for the buck economically. And their current report, working report that they're on has a similar proposal to the uh, coastal spine produced by A&M with some added and subtracted features. They don't do a, a floodgate at the, baller, at the San Luis Pass, which is a a, a subject of real debate between the A&M scientists and the Corps right now. Uh, they build a ring levy around the bay side of Galveston to, to protect against the residual flooding coming uh, from the bay. And that while the, the details may be debatable, the needs to me make sense because you're still going to get a lot of houses flooded in Galveston if you don't do this when the big storms come. The, both uh, the Corps and, the, and lately the A&M Galveston researchers have concluded the, the eastern thing protects again, uh, eliminates a relatively small segment of water coming in the bay and, and for economic reasons doesn't need to be done. And all this up here represents the uh, Corps' recommendation to reduce the flood, residual flooding in the, on the west side of Galveston Bay. Uh, a levee type structure along a highway uh, uh, gates at the Dickinson Bayou and Clear Creek. And all this hatched area is stuff that probably won't be done, like elevating houses and buyouts. I haven't seen that done unless something actually happens to them. Uh, so you, get, you add some uh, res uh, resilience by some of these features and you take some away. Uh, the biggest controversy for the A&M folks is that the dune structure the Corps recommend is not reinforced and it's only built to 14 feet. Uh, they think it's tolerable to accept the overflow. And again, they build to a 100-year event. Uh, that is their marching orders, and they, and they get some protection of the 500-year event, event, but not as much as I think you should. So there'll be debates about that. Uh, the plan, uh, uh, in, the, in the numbers part of the plan, it, uh, and I, forget, I, I forgot to say this earlier, but I need to remind, so I'll put it in the slide here. Uh, all this uh, uh, savings of losses is only for the surge part. It doesn't change any of the equation on wind damage. That's a, 
a building code issue and, and building properly, and it does not address the rainwater flooding issues, uh, which is a whole other ball game. Which our primary line of defense still is uh, flood insurance. Uh, you, you can't really get the houses out of the way uh, economically. Uh, the cost, just the, the, this is for the whole project. You'll see this quoted all over the place is the cost for the Ike Dike, but it's not. The Galveston Bay portion of the core plan is 15 to 18 billion on the current estimate. Uh, the A&M design, the, the cost by their economic advisors on this was six to 10. I'm kind of cynical on that. I double everyone's values by the time you actually get it built. I bet you that's what it costs. Uh, and the gate is by far the most expensive uh, element in the whole project. It's, it's unique. It has to be designed from scratch, and it takes years to pull it together. Uh, this was the, the benefits as, as the, the closest to comparable to what A&M put out. Uh, using a 100-year event, 77% uh, reduction in, in losses. Uh, Ike was roughly a 100-year event, and they could do 95. So it's considerably less protection than what was planned by the A&M. And, and given the, the cost things here, I think some people need to keep working on this to come up with a better, a little bit more protection in there. Uh, actions to date, uh, this is a, a graph that the Corps has out there of, of all, everything it had to go into making the feasibility study, which is what they're working on and almost completed. Uh, now, it eventually gets called a chief's report, and that, that eventually becomes the vehicle to, to approach Congress to seek the authority to build and get the funding to move forward. Uh, in Texas, we have a, you know, bipartisan support of our congressional delegation and both senators uh, for this. Uh, uh, not sure we'll see the same from the, the legislature as a whole. You, never, you just don't know how that's going. I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, state leadership is behind it. The, the, the project has primarily been in the hands of the general land office uh, who have control of the beaches, and they've taken a very active role in, in developing support uh, at a state and local level that way. And the legislature has good support uh, for the project. So when, when are we going to see this? Uh, this was the slide that depressed me, given my 72 years of age. <laughs> We're just now getting around to completing the feasibility study. Uh, uh, the, once they get congressional approval, they, then they can do the design and engineering uh, aspects of the pre-construction. I've been told by, by our core guy that this is a good figure. Once they get to this point, they usually get the funding to do this part of it, and the two to five years is, is a good figure to use there. Uh, it's not till after that that you get to get around to putting shovels in the sand and getting started on the project. And they estimate 10 to 15 years dependent on funding. And uh, uh, the, the funding can be the biggest issue there. The, uh, the uh, earliest start date is 2024, and, uh, and uh, the earliest finish date is 2034. Uh, and... It, hope I'm still around to see the results of that, but it's getting to be a long time in the future. <laughs> and you can almost count on delays if we go through the core process, which is what this is. Almost never get the kind of money they need to do these major projects, so it gets stretched out over time. And one of the guys we have at AM Galveston that uh, is, is a professor down there is a retired 
uh, Corps of Engineers uh, uh, colonel who was in charge of the Galveston Corps office for a while, and he he, he says we can fight, we can push this as hard as we want, but the most likely way to get an accelerated build is to have a disaster like Katrina hit the Galveston Bay area, which was pretty depressing. You don't want to break everything and then go around and fix it. You'd like to get this fixed before you break it. So that's kind of where we stand now. It's it's in it's in the hands, uh, uh, pretty much in the hands of uh, of the political system now, and, and that's not an area I'm too familiar with. How I have no forecasting skill as to how that's going to play out. So that's what I have. If you've uh, if you got any questions, I'll be uh, more than happy to try to answer them. Bill, uh, one of the questions I was thinking of, uh, we were looking at uh, that plan there, and the dunes. You said they were took they took that fortified portion of the dune. Was that still in the plan, or was that not in the plan? And if it's not, how important to the plan is it? Oh, we think it's very important, and it's not. It's a uh, the, the, the dune structure proposed by the Corps is natural uh, dune with no fortification. In other words, a, say a less than big storm comes along in July, it is going to erode a whole bunch of the sand and, and, and do damage on that. Uh, the big storm comes along, it's going to cut holes in it. Remember Hurricane Allen in mm-hmm. 1980? I forgot how many new cuts it made on the on Padre Island, and those dunes were tall. Some of those dunes there are approaching 20 feet. Uh, the, the power of water, it'll cut through that in there. It may do the job for that one storm, but now you're vulnerable until uh, you fix all those dunes. And how many years is that going to take to get approvals, funding, planning, engineering, design, and replacement? Whereas if it's fortified, uh, with a, it's kind of like a T-wall uh, structure that's buried. Uh, the, the Dutch proposed using the natural soils that you dredge from the, the the area there, which are clays, as the as the base that goes into the dune, and then overtop the dune with the sands and natural grasses that occur with it. So it'll look just like, and that's how they do it there. It'll look just like a, a natural sand dune. And, and why stop at 14 feet if you do uh, three to five more feet? It's not going to make that much difference on the appearance of it. Uh, it's not going to add that much more uh, to the cost, but it's really going to add to the protection. Uh, yes, and I was thinking if it's taking this long to, to actually get things into action and get it built, what are we looking at the, the potential for new storms? Uh, what are we looking at at the impact of sea level rise in that time period? Uh, I think, the yeah, I, I know both plans do uh, take into account the sea level rise is how they're building it. The the design structure is, I didn't talk about it, but it's required to be uh, serve as a viable protection for 50 more years after it's completed. Uh, In most cases, the structures uh, are much better than that. They last longer. It's like a guarantee on your car, 36,000 miles. Hell, if I bought a car that only lasts 36,000 miles, I'd never buy it again. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you'll have to, you know, depending, you know, if you go into that high rate of sea level rise, you'll end up with a diminishing level of protection in due time. And uh, uh, the hard part, uh, the, the, the hard part would be the uh, redesign of the, of the gate to handle that. The gate that they're designing for the Corps of Engineers projects 24 feet. 
So I think they're building in the, a lot more risk mm-hmm. management of the gate than they are the dunes or the seawall. Yes, that sure seems like it. Well, a very interesting talk today, Bill, and a good update on ELSA. Uh, we've seemed to have run, run right up against our 11 o'clock time, so uh, thanks so much for that. Uh, next week we're going to be back. I believe we're having Bob Kanidia from uh, Black Magic Design. He's going to be talking to us about uh, how to enhance social media presentations like what we're doing here. Thanks for joining us on Hurricane Center, produced by the Storm Science Network and made possible by USAA, South Padre Island Convention and Tourist Bureau, and Plylux Hurricane Clips. You can find other episodes on HurricaneCenterLive.com.